Amen. All right. Well, aren't you glad God is still reaching down and reaching out? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. How many of you brought your Bible this morning? We hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning. I want to, I'm going to have to help you find this book this morning. So if you'll open your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 37 this morning, the very first book in the Bible. I'm kidding about that. Page number 53, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Genesis chapter 37, I'd like to read some verses here and then ask you, if you will, just to leave your Bibles open here this morning for the message, all right? Genesis chapter 37. Brother, brother is here this morning. Brother, brother. Yeah, brother, brother's back with us. Did y'all know that? And I just looked over there and saw him, and so I'm glad the Lord has helped him and touched him. We're so glad that everything's okay, and he's back with us on this Sunday morning. All right, don't forget the service this afternoon at 5.30. We're building up toward our special day coming up on June the 23rd. Now, you don't want to miss June the 23rd because that's going to be a historic day here at Woodland. And uh, so we're pushing everything toward that, especially talking about it a lot <coughs> in our Sunday evening services. Now, June the 23rd is our 100th anniversary homecoming slash friend day Sunday. And uh, so we're going to have a great day, a big meal after church that day. And we're pushing for a big crowd that day, hopefully, potentially, one of, if not the largest, at least one of the largest crowds that we've ever had here at Woodland on June the 23rd. And then after all that's over, uh, we're going over here to the field. We're going to put a big tent up, have meal that day, an old-fashioned homecoming meal. We may even go so far back that we get them big old round tubs, fill them full of ice, and put bottles of pop in them like we used to do at homecoming. But it's going to be a great, great day on that Sunday, June the 23rd. And guess what? You're invited to be here. All right? And so we're trusting the Lord for a great day that day. Now, I know probably when Zach mentioned this a moment ago on June the 9th, which will be a week from today, uh, next Sunday night, we're having a super summer Sunday evening fellowship. I know probably some of you probably say, what in the world is a super summer Sunday evening fellowship? Well, what happens is after church, we do this four times a year through the months of summer. We go out back here and have a meal together. Now, the first one, we're having barbecue sandwiches with all the trimmings, and then we're having ice cream sandwiches, and then we got a special treat for all the children as well. And this will be after church next Sunday night. I want to encourage you to bring a lawn chair. If you have trouble standing up, bring a lawn chair. We've got everything else you'll need if you'll just bring a lawn chair, or as the case may be, an umbrella if it's raining. But uh, we'll have a good time of fellowship after church next Sunday night. Did you see this morning? Boy, we need to pray. I just seen Darius Collins back there. We need to pray for Friendly Chapel. Their, their church got hit twice. You ever heard lightning striking twice? Last night, Friendly Chapel Church got hit twice by lightning last night, and it actually blew the steeple off the top of their church building, and uh, they got a lot of water damage, set the church on fire, and then on top of that, their pastor's been so sick, and we need to pray for Friendly Chapel this morning and ask God to help them, and I think probably, Darius, if I'm right about this, they were going to meet in the fellowship hall maybe today. It looked like the cars were driving down there when we came by. And then, of course, their pastor is so sick as well. So let's pray about that. Would you bow your head? Father, would you please today help Friendly Chapel, help Brother Don and those good people there. I pray for them. Lord, that church for years, for decades and decades has stood as a testimony of old-time religion. 
And God, now their pastor is so sick. And then on top of that, all this happened. I know none of that caught you off guard. I know that. And you've got a plan behind it all. And it's going to work out for good. We understand that. But Lord, would you bless those people today and help their church, help Brother Don, their pastor. Lord, encourage them, I pray, and meet their needs, please. And then bless our service now this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look with me now, Genesis chapter 37, and look at verse number 2, all right? Genesis 37 and verse number 2. It's 1033, and I'll wrap this thing up as quick as I possibly can. Look at verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. So what we have here now is the listing of a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob is one of what I would call the three musketeers in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel basically had three fathers. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons went on to become the 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. These are the generations of Jacob. Look at verse 2 again. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now there were 11 other brethren, brothers of Joseph. Uh, ten of those brothers were older. One of those brothers was younger. The Bible said that he was 17 years old and his brothers was feeding the flock and the lad was with Bilhah and with the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives. Now, he had, uh, he had four wives. He uh, had four of them. There was uh, Leah, there was Rachel, there was Bilhah, and there was Zilphah. Well, aren't you glad you aren't married to a woman by the name of Zilphah? Wonder what a woman by the name of Bilhah looks like. Hey, Bilhah! Yeah, aren't you glad you're not married to somebody named that? Well, he had four wives, and from these four wives, these 12 sons and one daughter was born. And the Bible said this, his, uh, And Joseph brought unto his father there his other brother's evil report. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. And by the way, that's not right. I mean, you should never, to the best of your ability, should never try to show partiality amongst your children. That's never good. The Bible said, And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And then notice this phrase, And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, now see, we've got problems going on now because he's showing favoritism to one of his children. The Bible said the rest of his brothers, they saw they understood. By the way, you can't fool children. I mean, they get it, man. They see things. They, they're, they're smarter than you and I think that they are. And the Bible said they saw what was going on, how that his father, their father favored Joseph more than the rest of them. The Bible said because of that, they hated him. They hated Joseph, and they couldn't even speak peaceably unto him. Isn't that a sight? By the way, this isn't Joseph's fault. Joseph didn't make his daddy love him more than the, the rest of his brothers. He loved the rest of his brothers, but because of that favor of his father, the Bible said they hated him and couldn't even speak a peaceable word unto him. Look at verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. The Bible said in verse 6, And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. So Joseph's had a dream. Now he's saying to his brothers, they already hate him. 
He's saying to them, I want you to listen to this dream I have. Look at verse 7. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about it and made obeisance to my sheep. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That didn't help matters none, did it? This dream that he had. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about this boy, this man, by the name of Joseph. Now, as we're introduced to Joseph in our text, we, we come to understand when we first meet him that he's already 17 years old. But he's not your average teenager. He was a, he was a son of a man by the name of Jacob, and up to this point in his life, the first 17 years of his life, let me tell you something, he has faced a lot of hardship in his life. You see, right after his, he was born, his mother, his mother died, leaving him to be raised by his daddy and three stepmothers. Now, I'm going to tell you something, one stepmom is bad enough. But can you, be, can you imagine being raised by three stepmothers? He has 11 brothers. Ten of those brothers are older than him. And can I say this? Can I say this? His brothers hated him. I don't think his stepmothers treated him right. I don't even think they loved him. His daddy did. But I think his stepmoms treated him bad. But then his brothers, the Bible said, they also hated him uh, as, as well. All of his brothers are wicked young men. I mean, when you think about the brothers of Joseph, let me tell you something. They are involved in all kinds of ungodly and sinful behavior. His older brother, Reuben, has already been to bed with one of his daddy's wives. This sounds like, this sounds like another world. This sounds like as the world burns. Yeah. One of his brothers, Reuben, his oldest brother, has already gone to bed with one of his daddy's wife. And, his, and, his, and his, he's got another set of brothers, Simeon and Levi. They've already lied and killed a whole town of people. And the rest of them are not much better. Now, you thought your family was bad. Yeah. Everybody's got family, don't they? But I'm telling you something. Joseph's family wrote the book on dysfunctional families. I mean, his family was, dysfun uh, was dysfunctional before dysfunctional families was even cool. I mean, man, he was brought up in a very wicked and an ungodly environment. But when we first meet him, we come to understand something, that he's nothing like the rest of his family. You know, you would think living in that kind of environment that he would just go along to get along. I mean, living in that kind of environment, he would just grow up and be just like the rest of his brothers. But when we first meet him, we come to understand there is something unusual about this young man by the name of Joseph. At the tender age of only 17 years old, he has already developed a lot of character and much conviction. Now, we find that right up front because of what we're told there in verse number 2, where the Bible said at the end of verse 2 that Joseph brought unto his father there his brother's evil report. Now, I want you to understand something. Don't read into that that Joseph is being a tattletale. I don't want you to read into that whatsoever. In fact, what Joseph is doing is he's speaking out against the evil of his brothers. You know something? We, need to, we still need in this day and age people who will stand up and speak out against that which is evil. Call it what it is. Call it like it is. Not with a, an, an arrogant attitude or, or a brash or a hateful kind of an attitude. But can I tell you something? We still need people to stand up and just speak out, speak up when it comes to evil. 
I was reading this week, you may have read this, but they have made out, uh, they, not made out, but they've just recently come out with a movie about the life of Elton John. Now, I don't know if you know who that is or not. That's some kind of famous rock and roll singer, and he's older now. But, but Elton John, they come out with a movie about his life. Well, Elton John, as most of us, I think, if you know him uh, any bit, uh, know anything about him, you know he's a homosexual. He's married to another man. And at the close of this movie, I didn't go see it yet. And can I say, I'm not going to go see it. Amen. But anyway, at the close of the movie, they do a special segment about his life to his husband. Now, we got a man. Evidently, he's the wife in the crown. So he's helped me with this because it's so weird I can't even talk about it hardly. But he's married to another man, and at the end of it, he has a special tribute to his life, to the, to the husband, that, <laughs> boy, it's crazy, that he's married to. Well, this movie now is now being played over in Russia. And there is a big, there's a big uproar about it because over in Russia, a communist country, a country that don't believe in God, will not allow that part of that movie to be seen because they don't want to be, they don't want to promote homosexuality in the, in the USSR. Now, when I read that, I thought, now here we are, so, a so-called supposedly Christian nation, and we're showing it like crazy, but in a communist nation that don't believe the Bible, that don't believe God. They won't show that because they don't want to introduce that into their society. Now, can I say, that's messed up, ain't it? You know, we still need people to stand up and say there's a right way, there's a wrong way. These things are right, these things are wrong. This is God's plan, this is against God's plan, and Joseph was that kind of a young man. Hey, can I tell you something? When it comes to speaking up about evil in our society, silence is not golden. It's just plain yellow. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Wah, wah, wah. It's just plain yellow. So the Bible said here in our text that Joseph is speaking out against the evil of his brother. And by the way, by doing so, what he's doing, he's revealing a lot about his character because we come to understand that he he can't stand to be around evil. Have you ever heard this statement before? What's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. You ever heard that statement before? What is down in the well? My Uncle Pete and Aunt Bertine used to have one of those old-fashioned wells, and I loved going there because they had one bucket in, on the kitchen counter with one dipper, and everybody drunk out of the same dipper, out of the same bucket. Now, don't look down about it. I'm still alive. I'm still okay. Hadn't affect, 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 affected me at all, man. I'm good with it now. But I love going there because we'd drop that bucket. We'd roll it down or just drop it down. It would go down, in, and then you'd roll it back up, and it had fresh, I mean, cold, good spring water from the well. What was down to the well come up in the bucket. Well, let me tell you something. What's in a person's heart is going to come up through the door of their lips and out their mouth. And when the Bible said that Joseph brought unto his father their, evil's, their brother's evil report, what he's doing is his tongue is revealing what's down in the well of his heart. He's telling us that he could not and cannot stand evil, and he would have no desire, no, no part of that. So we learn a little bit about Joseph's desires here. 
But then a little bit later in this text, not only do we learn about his desires, but we learn about his dreams. Look down at verse 7. The Bible said because he was a righteous man, because he had a desire for the things of God, for the heart of God, because he was upright in his character, God gave him some special dreams. Look at verse 7. God showed him through this dream in verse number 7 what was going to happen in his life. And the Bible said he dreamed about these sheaves that were in the field. And his sheaf stood upright. And his brother's sheaves came and bowed down before it. They made obeisance to his sheep. What God was doing was revealing to Joseph, hey, because you're different than your brothers, because you have character, you have conviction, and you're not like them, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to elevate you to a status till someday your brothers, the same ones that hate you and cannot speak peaceably unto you, are going to come one day and bow at your feet. Now, did it happen? Read the rest of the story. Just like God said, it happened. So we learn about his desires. We learn a little bit about his dreams. But what I want to focus on is verse number four. I'm sorry, verse number three. I want to talk a little bit about his dress. Now look at the end of verse number three. The Bible said that Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now I want you to look at this. This is his daddy... God, his heavenly Father, gave him dreams. His earthly Father has given him dress. You see, what Joseph is saying to, what Jacob, his daddy, is saying to Joseph in giving him this coat, it's not just like, well, it's just a coat to wear to keep him warm. It was much more than that. It was something like we would call a tunic. In other words, it went down between his thigh down to his knee, somewhere in that area there, and the sleeves were much shorter than these sleeves are, his sleeves would probably be about like that. And this coat symbolized that any time that Daddy Jacob was away, Joseph would be in charge. Now, you better know that didn't sit well with them older brothers. I mean, I have an older sister, and Mom and Daddy always left her in charge when they were away. And I despise the fact that my sister thought that she could tell me what I could and could not do. In fact, if she told me I couldn't do it, that meant I could do it. And if she told me I could do it, that meant that I wouldn't do it. I didn't like that, and she was older than me. Can you imagine? Here's this younger boy running around telling his brothers, hey, daddy's away, I'm in charge, you can't do that. Now, you kind of understand this dress. If those dreams didn't make them mad, boy, I know one thing, this dress infuriated them. And he wore that dress because it, it showed the favor of his earthly father. I'm thinking about the coat of Joseph. By the way, this is not the only coat that Joseph wore. In fact, I went through the story of Joseph. Did you know that Joseph, on four different occasions in, in his story, the, the story of his life, wore four different coats? That's right. In this chapter, he's wearing the coat of a son. In the next chapter... Chapter 39, he's wearing the coat of a servant. In the next chapter, he's wearing the coat of a slave. In the next chapter, he's wearing the coat of a sovereign. He wears four different coats throughout the story of his life. Kind of reminds me of this man that went off to work one morning, and he came home, and he found his wife in the living room. She had pain everywhere, and she was wearing a mink coat with a parka 
over the top of it. And she was laying on the floor just sweating profusely. He looked at those half-painted walls, saw his wife down there, the sweat just running off of her with that parka and that mink coat on. He said, Honey, what in the world are you doing? She said, Well, after you left for work, I got it in my mind. I was going to paint the living room, and I read the directions on the back of this can of paint, and it said this, Best applied by, what, by two coats. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Joseph had four coats. But the one I'm most interested in this morning is this coat here in our text where the Bible said that his father gave him a coat, a robe. Now, watch this. Do you know something in a real sense? No, stay with me here. When every one of us in this room got saved, God gave us a coat. That's right. Everybody in this room that is saved by the grace of God, our Heavenly Father, when we got saved, gave us a coat. Now, in other places in the Bible, it's not called a coat. It's called a robe. For instance, look at this. In Revelation chapter 7, in verse number 9, the Bible said, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white, say it with me, robes and palms in their hands. In other words, I think, I'm, I'm starting to understand that when we get to heaven... We're going to be clothed in white robes, in white coats. Look at this, Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. The Bible said, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. And the Bible said they were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You say, preacher, what, what's that mean? That means this. That means when we got saved by the grace of God, God spiritually, God symbolically gave you and me, gave us a white coat, a white robe. And everybody in this room this morning has, has, spiritually speaking, a white robe. You know what happened when you got saved? God took the old rotten rags of your sin and God gave you the royal robe of His righteousness. You know what happened when he reached down his hand for us? She was singing about, I mean, lost and undone without God or his son, dressed in the rotten rags of our filthy sin. But God reached down to where we were and lifted us out of that, and God gave us a, a royal robe for rotten rags. And every one of us, if we could see ourselves that are saved this morning, sitting in this room, God would see us clothed, in the white righteousness of his own son. So you got a coat on. If you're saved this morning, just like Joseph, you have got on a coat. That's right. Remember when that old prodigal went off and left home and went into the far country? Buddy, when he got down in the far country, he hit rock bottom. Remember the story? And he's down there and he spent all of his money He's lived immoral. He's spent all of his money, got down there in the far country, and he hit rock bottom. So he's sitting on a rail of a fence, and he's slopping hogs. Remember the story? He's slopping hogs. And, and the Bible said something happened to him while he was down there, and that's this. He came to himself. If there's one place the devil never wants anybody to come, it's to yourself. Is that right? He wants to, the Bible said he's the God of this world who blinds the minds of those which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine. So the devil loves to keep me and you chasing after some greener grasses 
outside of the will of God, outside of the, father, the four walls of the Father's house, and he tries to paint beautiful pictures of what life would be if we just throw away the will of God and just live for self and live for sin and live for the devil. If we just forget about this living for Jesus stuff, our life would be so much better. But he never shows us that we're going to wind up down in the hog lot. So he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he started thinking about home. So here's what happened. He threw down the pail, jumped off the rail, and hit the trail. Now let me say that again because it went right over your head. He jumped off the rail, threw down the pail, and he hit the trail. He is going back to the father's house. And remember before he could ever get there, his father was on the front porch looking for him. Remember the story? And when he saw him, the Bible said he didn't run to the father, but the father went running to him. When he reached down his hand, maybe I'd say it like this, when he reached out his hand for me. He took off running toward it. And one of the first things he did for that old boy, the Bible said, he said, come here. And he put a robe on him. Ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, but a robe on his back. I want to tell you something, friend. When we got saved by the grace of God, God took away our rotten rags and gave us a royal robe. And everybody in this room this morning has on a white coat. But I got a question for you. This is my message this morning. What have you done with your coat? What have you done with the coat that your heavenly Father has given you? Now, we know what Joseph done with his coat. He wore it. Proudly, might I add, he wore that coat. But can I ask you something this morning? Are you wearing your coat that God gave you? Hey, what have you done with that royal robe that God gave you when you ditched your rotten rags? What have you done with that coat, that robe, that, that morning when you got saved, or that night there by the coffee table in your home, or by an altar in the church, or wherever you got saved, God took away the rotten rags, and God placed on you the royal robes of His own righteousness. What have you done with that coat. Well, can I suggest three things that people can do with their coat this morning? Let me say, number one, some people, some people have taken their coat, and watch this now, they've just taken their coat. I wore this this morning. This is the closest thing I got to a white coat. They've taken their coat and thrown it in the can. They've taken that coat, that royal robe that God gave them when he took away the rotten rags. You know what they did with it? They bought, wadded it up and they threw it in the can. Why would you throw it in the can? Because you believe that living for God just don't pay. You know, the devil tries to convince a lot of people in these days that living for the Lord just don't pay. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today that have, that have gotten saved, but then they, through the process of the disappointments that come along in life and the discouragement that come along in life, you see, a lot of people think that once you get saved, you don't have any more problems. Thank you, Brother Buddy. A lot of people think that when you get saved, there's no more disappointments. A lot of people think when you get saved, you'll never get sick. You'll never have face death. You'll never have a divorce. You'll never go through tough times. There'll never be no financial reverse. You got saved. It's pie in the sky till the sweet by and by from here on out. But then the problems come. The, the disappointments comes. The financial reversals comes. 
the, the children break your heart. The, the doctor says you've got cancer. And a lot of people, the devil jumps up on a lot of people's shoulders and says, See there, that's what living for God gets you. And they just take their coat off and throw it in the can. Because they don't think it pays to serve God. Can I show you a verse that goes along with this? Look at this Malachi verse right here, Malachi 3.14. See if this doesn't sound like a lot of people in our day. Listen to this verse. Ye have said, it is vain, futile, it's worthless to serve God. And what profit is there? It, it, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, that have, we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? In other words, what they were saying is, man, we tried to live for God, and where's it got us at? It has got us nowhere. And the devil does his best to convince people that serving God just don't pay. He does his best to convince people that nice guys finish last, that living for God will get you nowhere. The reason you got passed over for that promotion is because you're a Christian. And if you'd quit being so serious about this and lighten up just a little bit, you could get some of the benefits that go along with living for me, the devil says. Come on. And they throw their coat in the can because it just don't pay. Well, can I do this? Let's ask Joseph. Does it pay to serve God? Let's ask Joseph. Hey, is it worth it? To, to be different from your brothers, to not go along to get along, to, 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 to not just uh, win in Rome, do as the Romans do. Is it, does it really pay Joseph to serve God? We'll see him as his brothers rip that coat off of him, throw him in that pit and sell him into the, to the Ishmaelites into slavery. See him as he's lost that coat because they took that coat, shredded it, dipped it in blood, carried it home to their daddy and said, here's what happened to your boy, daddy. He's gone. He's dead. Some evil beast hath devoured him. Hey, see him as he lost that coat. See him in Potiphar's house and, and that Potiphar's wife tugging on his coat, trying to pull him toward the bedroom and Joseph refusing and running and getting out of the house before she can get him in the, in the bed with her and see him as he's arrested and thrown into jail and spent two full years in jail. Joseph, it don't pay to serve God, does it? But that's not the final picture of his life. Because it isn't going to be long till he's brought out of that jail. It isn't going to be long till he's elevated to the second in command in the land of Egypt. It isn't going to be long till he's wearing the vesture, the fine linen of the emperor of Egypt. It isn't going to be long till he's got the royal robe of the government official stamp on his finger. It isn't going to be long till everywhere he goes, people are bowing down and saying, Hail Joseph. Somebody said, Does it pay? Oh, yes, 10,000 times. It pays to serve God. Get your coat out of the can, put it back on and wear it proudly and serve God because it always pays to serve God. Some people threw it in the can because they think that it don't pay to serve God. You think God's going to be a debtor to us? You think if we live for God, God's going to say, okay, you've lived for me now. Here's what I'm going to give you. Trouble and trial for the rest of your life. Oh, no, friend. We may have our share of difficulties in this walk of life, but thank God we ain't got to where we're going yet. Someday, I promise you, it'll pay to live for God. They've thrown it in the can because they think it just don't pay to live for God. But there's a second thing we can do with our coat. Not only 
Some people have thrown it in the can. But number two, watch this. Some people... have took it to the cleaners. You know why? They got it dirty. You know why? Because they got too close to the world. You know why the, the coat got dirty and they had to carry it out to the cleaners? I'll tell you why. They've been doing some things that's made them dirty and defiled. Let me give you a good verse. Look at this James verse right here. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the, uh, the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Now, 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 y'all help me with the rest of this. Let's read this last phrase. And to, y'all ain't reading it. And look, it's 1101. The Methodists are getting ready to get out. If y'all want to beat them to Kentucky Fried Chicken, you better read this verse with me. Let's read this last phrase. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Man, I got on a royal robe, white, fine linen that God gave me when I got saved. I traded my rotten rags for a royal robe. But if I'm not careful, living in a dirty world, I can rub up against the world and get my beautiful white coat the robe of righteousness stained by the dirty world that we're living in. Can I tell you something? Some of you have got your coat stained because you've been involved in relationships that you shouldn't have been involved in. I'm probably speaking to somebody in this room this morning. Some dear man has been running around on his wife or some wife has been running around on her husband, and that beautiful white robe that God gave you when you got saved, born into family, got one big old spot right in the middle of it. You know why? You rubbed up against the world. Yeah. You know, in the Bible, sin sometimes is depicted like a chain, but more often than not, sin is depicted like a big old stain. And, and when you and I go out in this world and we disobey God and we start living to please self and to, to, we start gratifying our flesh and our sinful desires and we, and we say, God, you stay up there. I'll stay down here. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we go out we start making bad decisions and, and bad choices in our life and we get involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in. Big old spots. Dirty spots. Our robe gets stained. And you know what we have to do? Have to take it to the cleaners. I wonder this morning who I'm speaking to in this room this morning, in your life, you, you got saved and God gave you one of those white robes and, and then you, you turned your back and went back out here in the world and the first thing you know, you started rubbing up against this and against that and going here and going there and getting involved in this and getting involved in that until your white robe that God gave you has got dirt all over it this morning. You can't even tell it's white anymore because you've been living in the world for so long. You may need to take it to the cleaners. Get it cleaned up. By the way, can I tell you this? I'm so thankful. Man, you're not a good cleaner. Look at the, look at the wrinkles in this. You're supposed to hold it like this if you're a good cleaner. I'm so glad that when we get them old stains, aren't you glad there's a divine detergent called the blood of Jesus 
that can lift out the stains of sin. You say, I use all. Well, I do too. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all. And maybe you've got your robe spotted because something you've been involved in that you had no business being involved in. Something you got involved in that that book speaks out against. And there's a big old stain. Why don't, you, why don't you bring that robe down here this morning and hand it to the divine cleaner and let him, through the blood that his son shed on Calvary, get the stains out and hand it back to you white and pure once again. So some have thrown it in the can. Watch this now. Some have took it to the cleaners. And then number three, some... have tucked it in the closet. You know why? Because they're ashamed of it. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. Some people, you know, they get saved, give their heart to Jesus, and, and they want to, you know, they, they want to go to heaven when they die, but they just don't want to be identified with that crazy religious crowd that walks around with them white robes on all the time. So what they do is, their attitude is this, now, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this robe that you gave me. It is nice, and it fits perfectly, Lord. Thank you so much. I love it. But now, Lord, I don't want to carry this thing to extremes. So what I want to do is, Lord, I'm going to take good care of it now, Lord, but I'm just going to put it in the closet because I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic. I don't want people to think I've lost my mind. I don't want people to think I've gone crazy. So, Lord, thank you for my code, and thank you for giving it to me, and I'll see you when I get to heaven, but if you don't mind, I don't want to wear that down here because it might identify me as being one of those crazy Christians. And so what do they do? They, they, they take it and they tuck it in the closet. Can I tell you something about old Joseph? I think he wore that coat proudly. I think everywhere he went till they ripped it off of him, tarred it to shreds, and dipped it in that animal's blood. I think everywhere he went, he walked around. Showing people that coat. Woo! Many colors. Hey, by the way, you know what this coat means? It means I'm in favor with my father. <laughs> I'm going to wear this coat because it shows everybody. My daddy, my father sure does love me. And by the way, you boys better do right. Got the coat on. Don't tell me what you're going to do and not do. I got the coat. I think he wore it proudly wherever he went. And it grieved them the day that they took it off of him. Can I ask you something? Are you trying to slip through this world incognito? You got saved and God gave you that white coat and you say, Thank you, Lord. I look forward to seeing you in heaven. But, uh, Lord, I don't want to... I don't want to be one of those crazy Christians. I mean, after all, man, look, Jesus, you don't understand living in this world that we're living in today. If you name the name of Christ, you're branded, Jesus. And I don't want, I don't want that to happen to me. I mean, they'll think I'm against everything and I hate everybody. And, and, and Lord, I don't want to be identified as politically incorrect. Are you kidding me? I think one of these days the Lord's going to say, hey, what would you do with your coat? Uh, you, you mean, yeah, the one I died to give you. Hey, what'd you do with your coat? 
lot of us want to be like that little boy that had that little mangy dog. I mean, it had the mange all over it. It had only three legs. It just hopped around everywhere it went. And, uh, man, it was ugly. I mean, ugly as a beast. Somebody come to him and said, Hey, little boy, said, what kind of dog is that? He said, It's a police dog. He said, A police dog? He said, Yeah. He said, Don't look like no police dog to me. He said, Well, he's in the Secret Service. <laughs> and how many of us are trying to slip through this world in the Secret Service? I love you, Jesus. I see you. But I got to go out here. Don't tell nobody, and I won't either. And we try to blend in with the world. Come on. And we took that coat that Jesus died to give us, and we've tucked it in the closet. I see you, Jesus, but don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be branded, branded. So we tuck it in the closet. This, listen to this. This past April the 20th, this past April the 20th, we celebrated an anniversary here in America. Listen to this. April the 20th, 1999, in Littleton, Colorado, two heavily armed teenagers assaulted the Columbine High School. How many of y'all remember that? I remember that. I still see those kids running out of that school. Two teenagers, I mean, man, armed with bombs, assault rifles, pistols. I mean, they went into that high school for the purpose of killing people. And by the time they were done that day, 21 people were injured and 12 students and one teacher had been killed that day before the two took their own lives. But among those that were killed that day in the Columbine High School shooting was a young lady, 17 years old, same age as Joseph. Her name was Cassie Bernal. Cassie Bernal had been down a long road in her life. When she was 15 years old, she got around the wrong crowd. She got involved in the gothic culture and she got involved in witchcraft and rock music and, and the drug and the drug scene. And she totally rebelled against her mama and her daddy, and she was definitely going down the wrong road. Well, her parents, thank God for parents who'll do this, stepped in. They weren't trying to be her best friends. They were trying to be her mom and her daddy. And they stepped in and intervened into that situation and pulled her out of the high school that she was going to broke all ties to her former best friends and took control of her out-of-control life. That summer, at the age of 15, they sent her to a youth camp. And some old-fashioned leather-lung preacher got up and started preaching, and Cassie Bernal, at the age of 15 years old, got saved, got born again, and God turned her life around. She came back from that youth camp, got involved in the youth group at her church, she started working down in the downtown Denver, Colorado mission. She was letting her hair grow out because she was going to get it cut because they take the, the hair, especially from the ladies, they take the hair, and for people who have cancer and they lose their hair, they make wigs out of it. And she was letting her hair grow out so she could go get it cut so her hair could be given to someone who had lost their hair because of cancer treatment. God had marvelously, miraculously worked in her life. And on April the 20th, 1999, one of those gunmen walked into the library, the upstairs library of the Columbine High School, and said this, all Christians in here, stand up. And only one stood, Cassie Bernal. She stood up, and Dylan Klebold, one of the young men that was doing the killing that day, said, do you believe in God? 
And Cassie Bernal said, Cassie Bernal said, Yes, I do. And that gunman said, Why? And took a double-barreled shotgun and blew her head off. All because she said yes. Now look, if a 17-year-old girl could stand up in the face of death and say, got my coat on. Can't you and I walk into the office tomorrow? Can't you and I go to school tomorrow? Can't you and I go back to our neighborhoods and say, thank God for the coat. Look at this verse and I'm done. Romans 11, verse 25. Oh my goodness, it ain't that one. It's Romans chapter 10. But anyway, it says this. For whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of the one who loved me enough to die for me at Calvary so that I could be saved. Amen. Thank God. for my coat. Let's pray.